Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Merry Christmas, New Covenant. We started Advent season last week, and if you all remember, Advent literally means coming or arrival, so we have celebrated his first Advent. He already came. Uh, That was the past we celebrate in the present that God is always with us, that he never leaves us, and he never forsakes us, and then we celebrate the fact that the second Advent is guaranteed. It's going to happen. He's going to come again. Um, He fulfilled all the prophecies regarding his first coming, and so therefore we have every reason to fully trust he's going to fulfill the prophecies regarding his second coming. Now, with his coming to us and his being with us, we get to celebrate four different gifts. Uh, There's way more than four, but for some reason throughout church history, um, churches, bodies of believers have decided to celebrate at least four of the gifts, and that is hope, love, joy, and peace. Um, Which order those go in, I don't know. It seems like everybody does it different. Um, But I decided for um, our case, we are going to go ahead and start with hope. If you all remember, hope is that which is sure and set in the mind of God. It's not just wishful thinking, but we know it's going to happen because it's based off fact, not based off just blind faith. We move into love. We have the hope that we do because God loves us. And what we're going to see this morning is why God loves us. Well, that's beyond comprehension, because sometimes I wonder, why does God love me? What we're going to end up seeing is is simply because of his nature. It's because of who he is, not anything we've done. From that, we get joy inexpressible, joy that is not dependent upon circumstance. We're going to focus on that a lot this morning. Our joy is not dependent upon circumstance. It's solely and completely because of the fact that our hope is grounded in who Christ is, and then next week, we'll see that all of that ultimately results in peace. We can have a peace that transcends all understanding. I know we've mentioned this before, but the world's a mess, right? If you don't think it's a mess, all you got to do is step outside and then go inside and watch the news, and you will discover that the world is a mess. Here's the awesome thing about knowing Jesus. Because of the hope that we have in him, the love that he gives us that we don't deserve, the joy that defies circumstances, we can have a peace that transcends all understanding doesn't matter what diagnosis the doctor gives me, what happens to my bank account, what happens to my job, what happens to my car, what happens to my house, even the people around me that I love, I can live in this peace because I know that it transcends all understanding. It's not dependent upon a circumstance, it's dependent upon the God who made the universe, who never leaves us or forsakes us. Okay, so we have celebrated hope. We are doing two gifts this morning, so we're going to make it through two sermons in one morning. Don't worry, we'll make it. We're starting with the gift of love. Now, love has been thrown around so much that I feel like I have to begin to explain what love is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a little definition of it that seems to match or fit scripture, not what the culture or society says that it is. And then we're going to take a look at what true love really is in the book of Romans. Let me start off by saying two things about love. Number one, love is not a slave of the emotion. It's an act of the will. If you didn't hear that, let me say it again. Love is an act of the will. It's not a slave of the emotions. Secondly, love is seeking the greatest good of others. Both of those are really a great description of the God that made us, the God that we serve, the God of Scripture. God doesn't love us because we deserve it. 
God doesn't love us because we conjure up emotions in his heart that make him want to love us. He loves us despite ourselves. We're about to see that in Romans chapter 5. You're also going to see that God's love for us is for our greatest good. He always has our greatest good in mind. That doesn't mean that we're always going to like what he tells us. That doesn't mean that we're always going to like what his word says. But we can trust that whatever he says to us through his word is always for his glory and always for our greatest good. And the other thing that we'll see this morning is when I doubt that and I try to take matters into my own hands, it always results in destruction and decay of relationships and lives. If you would take your Bibles, we are in Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul is about to spell out what love looks like. Now, while you're turning to Romans 5, 1 through 11, or even if you just want to look on the screen, I want to give you the context of this passage. You have to keep in mind that Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 paint this awful picture of mankind, of how wicked and sinful we are, how we would always pursue evil, how we would always pursue unholiness and unrighteousness as opposed to pursuing God. Then we get to chapter 4, and there's this massive turn. So all of the first three chapters of Romans are about sin. Romans chapters 4 and 5 are all about salvation, and it's all about the salvation that we don't deserve. And if you've ever wondered just how much you are loved, read Romans 1, 2, and 3 so you can see what a mess you are. All of us, we're all on an equal playing field. All 8 billion people that walk the planet are being spoken of in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. There's nobody that escapes it. If you ever doubted that, think of the well-known verse in Romans 3.23. How many have sinned? All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And yet we get to Romans 4 and 5 and it says he loves us anyways. Listen to Romans 5 verses 1 through 11. Paul really encapsulates what love looks like. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me just take us back to verse 5. By the way, verses 1 through 11, this is an entire sermon. It could be a a small mini-series in and of itself. But we're going to take a look at what Paul says in these 11 verses. I want to first take a look at verse 5. Notice what it says here. Hope does not put us to shame. The Greek word for shame is the word disappoint or disgrace. We will not be disappointed or we will not be disgraced in the hope that we have in Christ. There are a lot of things that we talked about last week that people put their hope in that will let them down. A lot of them. This world is looking for hope. 
This world is looking for love, it's looking for joy, and it's looking for peace. And unfortunately, it's been looking in all the wrong places. The world looks for it in alcohol. The world looks for it in narcotics. The world looks for it in sexual fulfillment. Those are the negatives. The ones that seem positive, even those that will let us down, our spouse, our kids, our grandkids, our job, the money that we might currently have, all of that could potentially be stripped away. And if whatever I am putting my hope in, or whatever I'm trusting in to be loved by, or I put my joy in, or I put my peace in, if it can be taken away, it's on shaky ground. Which is exactly why Jesus said, wise is the man who builds his house upon the rock, not on the shifting sand. There is only one who is identified as the rock in scripture. And that's Jesus himself. If we have put our hope in him, if we have trusted in the love that he has for us, if our joy is in him and our peace is in him, we will not be disappointed and we will not be disgraced. If it's put anywhere else, you will be let down. Listen, I want to do this again. I want to take another three hours, maybe four, and just take a look at all the reasons why we can trust Christ definitively. Remember, as followers of Jesus, you do not have a blind faith. In fact, I would be careful of even looking at people and saying, well, I believe in Jesus and I believe in the Bible based off faith. That's partially true, but the problem is what the world has done with the word faith. Have you noticed that our words and our definitions have gotten greatly skewed? There's a lot of people that have faith in stuff. Your faith, okay, this is going to sound heretical, stick with me. Did you know that it's not actually your faith that saves you? What? It's not your faith that saves you. Here's why. If your faith is in the wrong thing, it can't save you. What saves you is the object of your faith. That's why it says it is is by grace through faith in the right object that we end up being saved. It's not just faith. People put faith in lots of things thinking that they're okay, only to end up being let down I know that this is very politically incorrect to say today, but did you know that there is only one person that can actually save you? There's only one person that actually will love you unconditionally forever. There's only one person that can bring you lasting joy, hope, and peace. Nobody else can do it. The gods of the cults will let you down. The god of self will always let you down. The God of religion will always let you down. But the creator of the universe, the one who made himself known through the person of Jesus Christ, took on flesh, born of a virgin, died on a cross, rose again on the third day, and is coming again, is the only one that can bring you hope, bring you love, bring you joy, and bring you peace. That's it. If you doubt that, I would ask you to put him to the test. Wait a minute, didn't God say we're not supposed to test him? Oh, once again, let's take a look at misquoted Bible verses. God said, do not put me to the test through your sin, seeing what you can get away with. But go ahead and test and see whether I'm worthy of being trusted. See, I've had people come to me and say, there's contradictions in Scripture. One of them is, one place God says, test me. And the other one says, God God says, don't put me to the test. Yes, but everything has a, a context. When God said, don't put me to the test, stop sinning to see what you can get away with. I was in youth ministry for about 11 years, and one of my favorite questions to have asked by young men was, they'd come into my office and, hey, pastor, how far can I go with my girlfriend before it becomes sin? How, how far can I go? To which I would always respond, you can go as far as you want until you lust. Oh, well, then I can't even be in the same room with her and hold her hand. Great, then don't. 
That put a lot of, of dating relationships to an end right there. That's the type of testing that God says don't put him through. Stop getting as close to the line or going over the line as you can to see what you can get away with. But then on the flip side, God says, test me and see if I can be trusted. Test his word. The Bereans did it, and Paul commended them for it. Trust him with obedience. Trust him with loving him for all that he's worth and then loving others when they don't seem to deserve it and see what God will do with that. Now let's go back to God's love for us. There's at least two ways that God's love is displayed in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The first is this, God's love is displayed in the undeserved contribution that we receive. We receive this undeserved contribution from the Lord. What is that contribution? What is it that's given to us that we don't deserve? Well, first and foremost, it's Jesus himself. We didn't deserve to have God in flesh come to planet Earth and then die for us, and yet he did it anyways. And then when he did, he blessed us with salvation for those that trust him, for those that trust in what he did. There's this interesting word in Romans chapter 5 that says we have been justified by his blood. What does the word justified mean? It means to be declared righteous. God the Father, because of what Jesus did on our behalf, actually now declares us righteous. And here's why that's so important. God can't allow anything imperfect into his heaven. Otherwise, it ceases to be heaven. I love to have conversations with unbelievers and ask them, did you know that nobody that's imperfect can go to heaven? To which they would typically respond to me, well, then I guess nobody deserves to go to heaven and nobody's going to go. Well, you got Partially right. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. I don't, you don't, and nobody else walking the planet deserves to go to heaven. But what I am so thankful for when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ is that he gives me not what I deserve, but instead what I don't deserve and what is just. If you all remember, we have uh, hit on this theological concept before, but perfect love and perfect justice meet at the cross. God showed his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then when he died for us, he also paid the full weight of the penalty of our sin. Someone's got to pay for sin. Who's going to do it? I've had people look at me before and say, I don't need a savior. I'll stand before God on my own one day and I'll be fine. Well, here's the problem. One, you won't be fine. And number two, you're not going to stand boldly and proudly before the throne. You're going to be on your knees and on your face because God is God and we're not. And then we're going to get ultimately what we do deserve if we don't have Jesus. If you do have Jesus, you don't get what you do deserve. Okay, say that three times fast. You're not going to get what you do deserve if you have Jesus because he traded us. He gives us this contribution. He declares us righteous. Well, here's the second thing that we see. God's love is displayed in the undeserved cost that Christ paid. We see his love displayed in the undeserved contribution that we receive, but then in the undeserved cost that Christ paid. Go back to verse 6. For, our, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. There's the heart of the gospel. The offended is dying for the offender. I'm the offender, Christ is the one who's offended, and yet he's the one who goes to the cross and dies. We go on to read in verses 7 and 8, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. At times, someone might die for somebody that seems to be a good person. It was happening back in first century Palestine during the time of Christ. Somebody might die for somebody else because it looked like they were worth it. Maybe I should die for this person because of all that they've done for me, because of the way that they have blessed me, because of the way that they have taken care of me. But imagine being Jesus looking at us. Did he have any reason to die for us? Let me phrase the question this way. What have I done for Christ? Okay, let's put it on all of us. What have you done for Christ? What do you have to offer him? Nothing. We don't have a thing to offer him. He's God in flesh. He's God in all. He doesn't need me. And yet he comes and he pays a price that I should be paying. Now here's the big question. If God has been that good to me, what should I do with all of that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What do I do with the great love that God has for me? Rejoice! about to take a look at somebody that did just that. There was an old man by the name of Zechariah and an old lady by the name of Elizabeth. And we are going to see that of all the people in the world, if they didn't have reason to have joy, that was them. Before I go there, let me, let me ask you, how many of you all have ever given a puppy for Christmas or been given a puppy for Christmas? Anybody? You ever, you ever given one or been given a puppy? Okay, how many of you all have ever seen it on TV? Like they go to give the puppy, they try to put it in a box and they can't contain it, or they try to put it in a room and keep it quiet. Good luck, because it wants to make noise and it wants to get out of the box. Well, think about your joy in Christ. I would hope that it's getting out of the box, that it can't be contained, that we can't help but have our joy overflow in who Christ is. We are just excited about him. Again, this is where I think we make the, that big word evangelism a scary word. We've got to have all the right answers all the time. Why don't you just have some joy in Jesus and tell people about him? I mean, I can't wait to stand before people and just say, do you want to know why the Advent season is so exciting? Do you want to know why this up-and-coming new year is so exciting? Do you want to know why Resurrection Sunday is so exciting? Do you want to know why every day that God gives me new, a new day to get up and worship him is so exciting? Because the God that made me and made you and made the universe came and died for us and rose again. Remember, we talked about this last week. That's the gospel. It's that simple. From there, let people ask questions. Or you ask them one. Hey, have you trusted that God that made you, made me, made everything, and then died for us and rose again? That will usually generate some kind of conversation, and it doesn't have to be super scary. But let the joy out of the box. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. As I mentioned, if anybody had reason not to have joy, it was Zechariah and Elizabeth, and here's why. They're old and they don't have kids. And in their society and in their day and time, that brought great shame. Let's start the story in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Here an angel is about to show up and tell Zechariah and Elizabeth, all those years of shame that you've had, all those years of discouragement, those are all about to come to an end. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the, the Lord a people prepared. They just got told you're going to have a son, and not only are you going to have a son, but he's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. What's a forerunner? Somebody that goes before somebody else. Back in ancient times, kings, when they would come into town on a cavalry, would have, uh, or on, on, with a, cal- a cavalry, would come into town and they would have a forerunner. What does a forerunner do? Well, a forerunner would go down and knock out the lumps that were in the road so that the chariots wouldn't get tipped over. Or they would fill in the potholes so they wouldn't get stuck in holes. They were supposed to prepare the way for the coming king. We still have the same job today. Prepare the way for the coming king. The enemy has created a lot of potholes and a lot of mounds. We're supposed to go in and begin to knock those down. We're supposed to be believers that are going in as forerunners before the Lord. Now, again, just to remind ourselves, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use his people anyways. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth get told, hey, your son's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. To which Zechariah looks at the angel and goes, yeah, right, we're old. That isn't going to happen. Why should I think that is going to happen? They are well advanced in years. In fact, I love the way Zechariah puts it. He's a smart guy. Listen to this. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. So he's like, yeah, I'm old. But listen to how he describes his wife. And my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) He has a nicer way of putting it. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, if we take a little bit of a closer look at Elizabeth, I want to remind you that she probably had a lot of discouragement. She would have probably had a scarlet letter across her, the letter B, barren. And in that day, if you were barren, or you had some kind of sickness or maybe some type of disease, the Jews looked at it as punishment from God. Maybe you're doing something wrong. Do you think maybe she, she began to question, am I doing something wrong? Man, what a great lesson here. Just because things aren't always going right in our life, it doesn't mean because you're doing something wrong. It might be quite the opposite. Now, if you are doing something wrong, repent. Serve the Lord. Honor Him. But sometimes hard things happen in our life because the enemy is attacking. Or God is just simply saying, not yet. Because He has perfect timing. And He wants to be honored and glorified in His timing. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 tells us, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children were the way that a family would pass on its name or pass on its heritage. We also have to keep in mind that families didn't just cruise down to Walmart or Costco or Smith's or Trader Joe's or Sprouts to get their food. They had to grow their own and oftentimes slaughter their own animals. And so having kids around would have been greatly helpful. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, they have all this frustration. They have all this shame. They have all this sorrow. Elizabeth probably would have felt like an outcast for years. And she might have just dismissed the lack of a pregnancy on who knows what. 
But eventually the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And apparently she had an easier time accepting that than her husband did. But what we do know about both Zechariah and Elizabeth is instead of trying to take matters into their own hands, instead of saying, hey, you know what, things just aren't going my way, so I'm going to help God out a little bit, which, by the way, you ever been there before? Like, okay, Lord, you're just not doing this quick enough, so I'm going to help you out a little bit, and we're going to do things my way for a little while, and let's just see how that works out. Okay, moment of honesty. How many of y'all have been there before? Like, I don't like the way this thing's going down, so, Lord, I'm going to help you out a little. How's that gone for you? Because it hasn't gone well for me every time I've tried. But here's what we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the, statutes of the Lord. They trusted him. Well, let me ask you to go down to Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. And this is after Elizabeth conceives. It says, after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Why did she hide for five months? We don't really know. I could speculate a little bit. I'm wondering if she told people that she was pregnant when she's like 60, 70, 80 years old. How many people would look at her and think she was a nut job? So maybe she waited until she was showing We don't know for sure. We do know that in the sixth month, she went and visited Mary. She went and visited her relative. Go with me down to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. So Mary is going to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it says that she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is he, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Did you hear that? This little baby in its second trimester in the womb is rejoicing over the fact that Jesus is there. Jesus showed up. What if we rejoiced as much as a baby in its second trimester in the womb? Shouldn't we? Hey, listen, we're followers of Jesus. Of all the people in the world, we should have joy. As a pastor, sometimes I get frustrated with myself and with other Christians. We're stodgy sometimes. We're like the frozen chosen. I go to church here, i got to read my Bible. This is exciting stuff. This is about the creator of the universe and the relationship that he has with his creation and the only hope that we have. And again, get this little six-month-in-the-womb baby that's jumping and rejoicing because Jesus showed up. So I want you right now, stand up and jump. Ready? Okay, don't. Some of you will hurt yourself. Just stay in your seat. But Mary does burst into song. Mary gets so excited about who Jesus is and what he's done that she bursts into song. And then it goes even a step further. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 58. And it says, And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. For Elizabeth, this joy was overwhelming. Puppies out of the box. And why is that? Well, it has to do with the source and the results Of our joy, the first thing we see is that Jesus is the only source of true and lasting joy. If we look for it anywhere else, we're going to get let down. 
Wouldn't it be awesome to see all the scars and all the shame of our life just get washed away dramatically and drastically? Might not happen with an obvious miracle like what happened with Elizabeth and Zechariah or what happened to Mary and Joseph. But a miracle has happened if you know Jesus. Did you know that? You went from death to life. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You went from going to a place where you were going to be separated from God for all of eternity in hell to knowing that you're going to be with God forever in intimate relationship with him and with each other. It's because of that that Peter could write 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And again, context, Peter is writing to the believers that are dispersed all over the Roman world. They're being beaten up for their faith, persecuted for their faith. They had to leave homes. They had to leave loved ones. They're scattered. They're probably feeling lonely. They're feeling discouraged. They're, feel, they're probably wondering, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And so Peter writes 1 Peter. And in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though they hadn't seen Jesus, they were rejoicing in what he had done on their behalf. And Peter describes it as an inexpressible and a glorious joy. That's deep stuff. This is the joy that surpasses circumstances. In fact, we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. In John chapter 16, Jesus speaks to his disciples about how they can still have joy even after he gets crucified. He's speaking to them and he's giving this fairly long dissertation or what have been like a little bit of a sermon. And he says in John chapter 16, verse 22, So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Do you know that the moment you trusted Christ, you were given a joy that cannot be taken away? You were given a hope that cannot be taken away? You are loved with a love that will never be taken away. It's unconditional. That you can have a peace that can never be taken away. Man, there is example after example of people that if they had a reason to complain, a reason to give up, should have done it. So even though Scripture's chocked full of people that really messed up, and that's what I love about Scripture, it's honest. It's full of, of messed up people. There's also some that honored and worshipped and, and glorified him. Y'all familiar with a guy named Nehemiah? So after the Israelites have been drugged into captivity, the temple gets destroyed, the city walls get destroyed, and Nehemiah is the guy who's in charge of rebuilding the city walls. And he looks around and they're in ruins. The spiritual state of Israel is in ruins. And yet, because Nehemiah is not trusting in his circumstances for hope, for joy, for peace, he's trusting in the Lord, he's able to say what he does in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice he doesn't say your bank account is your strength. Your spouse is your strength. Your kids are your strength. Your career is your strength. He says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that leads us to our second point. Jesus, as our joy, defies circumstances. Listen to what Mary said in Luke 1, verses 46 to 49. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. A teenage girl, pregnant, not by Joseph, who's supposed to be her husband, but impregnated by the Holy Spirit, which nobody's going to believe, and is also very poor. Teenage pregnancy, everybody doubts her, she's poor. If she had reason to complain, or if anyone had reason to complain, she is the one. Well, how do you know she was poor? Well, Luke chapter 2, when they go to offer sacrifices in the temple, they bring two pigeons. That was the sacrifice that was acceptable for those that couldn't afford a sheep or a goat or a bull. So here is poor, teenage, pregnant Mary rejoicing in all that God has done. Regardless of the challenge, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the suffering, she says, I'm going to choose to have joy. Which brings us to our third and final point for this morning. Joy is a choice. We can choose to have joy. You can't always choose to be happy. Sometimes you just can't help it. You don't even know why you feel sad. Not mentioning any names, females. But sometimes, you just don't know why. It's, it's okay, I have a house full of girls. I, didn't, I have no idea why sometimes they're totally happy. It's like everything's great. And the next minute, they're crying, and I'm looking at them going, why are you crying? What is wrong with you? I don't know. And the funny thing is, all you ladies that are sitting in the room can identify. I don't know why I'm crying. That's happiness. Happiness will come and go. Men, we're in the same boat. Everything's going great. We're totally happy until we get cut off on 528 or Paseo del Norte, right? And then all of a sudden, you're not happy anymore. But here's the amazing thing about joy. Joy can't be taken away if you know Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus made a promise that, one, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And number two, never will he leave us, never will he forsake us. There are a lot of things that will let us down. Jesus will never be one of them. Therefore, we can choose to have joy. I love what Mary said, my soul rejoices in the Lord. That word rejoice is the active verb form of the word joy. We can actually choose to rejoice and have joy even when things aren't going well around us. In a similar way and in our own situations, we can do the same thing Mary did. We can do the same thing Zechariah and Elizabeth did. We can choose to honor the Lord, obey him, live a righteous lifestyle that brings honor and glory to Jesus despite what's going on around us. Or we can say, Lord, you have taken too long to do this or I don't like the answer you've given. So therefore, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And every time we take matters into our own hands, we bring about destruction. We bring about decay. So here's an encouragement for all of us this morning. Let's trust the Lord, knowing that he loves us, which means remember that is an act of the will, not a slave of the emotions. Remembering that that always means it's for our greatest good, that when the Lord commands us to do something or when he says wait or he says not yet, it's always for our greatest good. Do you ever wonder how many things God has rescued you from by saying no or not yet? I can't wait to see when we get to heaven and maybe, maybe, we get a little bit of a glimpse as to some of the things that God has done in our life. When we have all of eternity to see the things that he's done in each other's lives and how he has rescued us from things that probably would have destroyed us. 
Can you imagine how many reasons we're going to have to worship the Lord once we get to heaven? Well, in conclusion this morning, this is only the beginning. We're just scratching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to knowing how loved we really are and how much joy we should have in Jesus. But ultimately, here's the takeaway. It's pretty simple. We have reason for joy because God is with us. Do you know there's nowhere you can go that God is not? doesn't matter if you go to the most dangerous city, the most dangerous country, the most dangerous place in the world, God is there. doesn't matter if you're riding on cloud nine or you're sitting in church, God is there. So let's rejoice. Let's celebrate the fact that Christ has already come once, that he has fulfilled literally hundreds of prophecies that should have been impossible to fulfill unless he was actually God in flesh, which we're getting somewhere. Guess what? He is God in flesh, which is why we have all the hope that we do. Let's celebrate his birth this year with joy. Let's celebrate the fact that we're loved even though we don't deserve it with joy. Amen? Psalm chapter 5, verse 11 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Let's rejoice together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in the fact that while we didn't deserve it, while we were yet sinners, while we were totally ungodly, Lord, you came and you died for us anyways. Lord, how thankful we are that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you laid down your life on our behalf. How thankful we are that we can look at the cross and realize that perfect love and perfect justice meet in one place and in one person. Lord, how thankful we are that you love us when we don't deserve it. How thankful we are that you died for us when we didn't deserve it. How thankful we are that you're going to grant us heaven and that we get to sit with you in the heavenly realms even though we don't deserve it. And so, Lord, we take this time now to tell you that we love you, that we love your name, and therefore we rejoice in you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Gang, speaking of rejoicing... We are only three weeks away from the new year, and God has done some amazing things in 2023, both in and through New Covenant Church. And so I'm excited about who God has brought. I'm excited about the leadership that he has brought. I am so thankful for our elders, for our deacons, for our ministry leaders, for our staff. Uh, I am so thankful for you as a body. I'm thankful for what he's doing in our small groups. I'm thankful that he has allowed us to send missionaries to Ecuador I am thankful that he is allowing us to do local missions. Um, but all of that costs something. As a family, I want to address that. We address things together as a family. Um, it costs us physically. We've actually got to get out and move and do things with our hands and feet. We've got to use our minds and get those prepared. And then it costs us financially. Um, so how are we doing as a church body? We're doing pretty good. God has been good to us. Um, overall, as a whole, we're about 8% where we need to be to continue to do the things that we want to do in 2024, with getting the gospel out to Ecuador, with local missions, with outreach to E.G. Ross, with being able to give out free Bibles, with being able to train our staff and have the place that we're worshiping in, we're just an itsy-bitsy bit behind. We only let you know that because we're family, so we do all of this together. Great time if you want to give above and beyond the norm before the end of the year. Um, so if you want to do that, fantastic. 
Nobody's going to know what you gave or how you did it, um, but that's going to enable us to continue to move forward. Um, on top of that, we're going to ask you, would you just continue to pray for God to work in mighty ways in Albuquerque? Would you pray about how he wants to use you? Does he want to use you to serve in local schools? Does he want to use you to maybe lead a small group? Does he want to use you to serve our youth? Does he want to use you to serve our, our children's ministry? There are all kinds of ways for you to get plugged in and get involved. Don't even wait till the new year, even now during Advent. We are going to see more faces coming through the door that maybe wouldn't normally step foot in church. If you're one of them, we're so glad that you're here. We would love to have you all 52 Sundays of the year as we worship together. But with all that being said, we just talked about love and joy this morning. This has been such a loving church body that has been loved on by the Lord himself, and therefore it goes forth. And it's been a joyous church body. I will tell you that after a year and three months of being here, Man, what a great amount of joy that I've gotten to experience, my family's gotten to experience, and I'm praying that you have had much joy in your walk with Jesus. I am anticipating that that's going to continue to happen in 2024. Do you all have joy in Jesus? If so, let it out of the box. So right now, here's the deal. Go to Trader Joe's or Walmart or Costco, or Home Depot, or Lowe's, where it's super crowded and everybody's cranky and mean to each other, and let joy out of the box and go tell people about Jesus. Amen? All right, gang, have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.